it's really not only the human cloud side of things introducing more services, but we're seeing more of the staffing firms responding as well by adding more technology into that stack. So that line that makes the distinction between human cloud and staffing is it's becoming more gray. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. Technology is creating a market for things that never had a marketplace before. It's going on all around us. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today are facing a global war for talent. At the same time, talent with the skills that companies are fighting over want more flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. Talent now has a choice, and this is pushing companies to change. We will bring together thought leaders, staffing experts, and independent workers to talk about the changing nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to attract the talent that will alter the course of their business to ensure success as the pace of technological disruption increases. Welcome to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Paul Estes. And on this episode of The Talent Economy, we're going to talk about how the freelance lifestyle and shifting on-demand talent economy is transforming the world of traditional staffing and what enterprises need to know in this ever-changing world of work. My guest today is Brian Wallens, a research manager at Staffing Industry Associates. Brian is responsible for delving into research across all things human cloud, IT staffing, and solutions for the future of work. My name is Brian Wallens. I'm research manager with Staffing Industry Analysts, otherwise known as SIA. And my coverage areas, uh, well, I started off as coverage analyst for the IT staffing segment globally. And more recently, I picked up coverage of the human cloud. And that's been uh, an area that's gained a lot of focus recently. And uh, we just had a conference specifically around the gig economy and human cloud. So that's where we're at right now. So the human cloud rolls off your tongue. I'm going to assume, and I'm, I'm familiar with the amazing report that SIA puts out every year called the human cloud. Help me understand how you define the human cloud. We define the human cloud as a, an emerging group technology platforms that is used to uh, digitally facilitate work arrangements, sourcing a worker through payment. It's typically done without the aid of a human intermediary. Typically, you see it uh, via either a website or an app, mobile application. Other you know, typical features that you see within uh, a human cloud application uh, would be based on uh, user ratings. There's also a trend towards leveraging artificial intelligence for matching algorithms. And uh, it offers freelancers an opportunity for flexible uh, schedule and uh, determining when and where they want to work. Now, within that report that you guys put out of a year, how do I think of the different companies? I mean, you've got companies like Uber and Lyft on one side. You've got companies like Upwork and TopTal and Business Talent Group on the other. How should we think of the human cloud as it relates to all of these different kinds of apps and websites and platforms that are out there? Yeah, I mean, so that definition I give you is absolutely a broad definition, and we do break it out uh, and slice and dice in many different ways, including business to consumer and business to business. You know, maybe like I'll give you three general categories that we uh, lump into the human cloud. So there's online staffing. And so that's kind of, you could describe that as a direct relationship between a manager and a worker. And so examples of there would be, you know, on the B2B side of things would be Upwork or TopTal. Uh, and this is really an area we focused on the most because it uh, makes up about 77% of the B2B human cloud. 
but there are other buckets as well. So we, there's uh, online work services. And so these are the when a platform actually manages a freelance worker to deliver a service. So examples here most frequently would be on the business to consumer side. So that's where you would have your Ubers and Lyfts and Postmates of the world. But you also do see uh, B2B players within online work services. You have a company, for example, like Axiom providing uh, legal services. So here you're purchasing an outcome rather than you know, a, a legal relationship. And then the third would be crowdsourcing. And that's where you can think about like um, virtual micro tasks, uh, contests performed by a distributed cloud. An example here would be uh, Amazon's Mechanical Turk, uh, which is used for uh, getting things done where computers, you know, are, are still relatively ineffective. So, for example, on Amazon, MTurk would be uh, a research project or something like that. Now, how big is staffing? The world of staffing, and we, and we can talk about the human cloud and, and sort of how it's evolved over the past, I would say, 10 years. Mm-hmm. In general, when you think of staffing, putting people into positions to do work, how big is that world globally and how big is it in the United States? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, as we think about uh, traditional brick and mortar staffing model, I mean, you know, you have your both the temporary agency side and, and, and the direct hire side, direct hires made up of you know, subcategories, which would include uh, permanent placement and retained search, and then temporary to permanent conversions. We, most of our research is around temporary staffing, which is actually most relevant as relates to the human cloud. So the, globally, the temporary staffing industry is a $437 billion industry. So we've got $437 billion of temporary staffing. And what percentage of that would you say is being impacted today by the human cloud? Like how big is human cloud as, as compared to temporary staffing? Yeah, I mean, so the human cloud, we're seeing an awful lot of interest, an awful lot of momentum. But when you really do need to keep a perspective as to where we are today, you know, so we give you that $437 billion number. Now, the human cloud, as it relates to on the B2B side, is $8 billion, and altogether, including B2B and B2C, is about $126 billion globally, largely influenced by you know, um, Uber and DD and China uh, and Lyft and those companies. DD being the Chinese version of, of Uber, right? That's right. So when you, you know, just got back from the Giggy conference, which was an amazing conference of, of folks that are you know in the staffing industry trying to understand these technological trends that you guys host every year. I think uh, I heard it was one of the biggest that you've had so far. Indeed. Yes, it was. I mean, so this is actually one of our newer conferences. It was just actually the, the fourth year we've been hosting it. It's a really interesting conference. It brings together all the various parties that are in, in the gig economy talent supply chain. So that includes Fortune 1000 contingent workforce program managers. You have your MSPs, staffing firms, and these technology vendors, which include the uh, human cloud platforms. Big emphasis on technology innovation and how digital disruption is changing the way organizations are engaging with talent. So, you know, in terms of, you know, some of the takeaways that from this year's conference, um, you know, clearly uh, interest is picking up, as you indicated, you know, there's record attendance for us there. And what I think one of the most exciting things that I personally saw was the interest from the enterprises really getting, taking a deep look at human cloud uh, and what that can do for their company. One of the uh, early human cloud adopters I spoke with of a, a larger enterprise 
who's a, a procurement leader, I think he summed it up well. He said he's been coming since year one to this conference and felt like this was the first time people were not only there for the typical networking and learning about things, what's happening, but they were actually making tangible progress around supplementing the contingent workforce with a, a viable human cloud strategy. You know, I've, I've gone for three years in a row. I've been fortunate to, to be on panels and, and talk to folks. One of the things that I've really noticed is there were a lot of people not saying what, but saying how, you know, really exactly. leaning in and saying, what does it mean to actually start a program? Like, how do I get started? Uh, you know, this, this exec or this business group is asking me to, to put this in place as, you know, to start and, and how. And I, I thought a lot of the conversation, uh, to your point, was, was on the how side of implementing these programs as part of a, a contingent uh, workforce strategy for, for very large companies. I mean, the folks that you guys had on stage were not very small companies. Some of them were the Fortune 100 and represented, you know, significant independent and contingent programs. You know, it's, what's interesting is, you know, the roots of the human cloud are really in the small to medium-sized business. Initially, you know, so smaller companies simply just don't have the funds to go out and acquire all these different types of skill sets they need, they need to run their businesses and get them started. But now we do absolutely see uh, enterprises beginning to embrace it. You know, we do a survey of contingent workforce buyers. And what we found in a most recent survey is that 20% of these large enterprises already have a human cloud uh, solution in place. And then we saw more than 50%, I believe it was 56%, expect to uh, seriously explore it within the next couple of years. So that's kind of a sign of where this is going. At the same time, um, you know, while 20% of these firms are using the human cloud, they're still kind of dipping the toe in the water. You know, in terms of total spend, it's still very low. So it kind of goes to highlight what the growth opportunity uh, in the enterprise might be. When you hear large companies, you know, talk about getting started, maybe starting a pilot or starting small, yeah. what are their main objections or what, what are the challenges that they're facing that they're trying to solve and what's stopping them from, from accelerating, you know, a human cloud strategy? A couple of the two biggest barriers that we've seen so far, uh, first, you know, it's just a cultural barrier that needs to be overcome. And I think that's just inevitable over time, you know, particularly like around the usage of remote work. But I think those barriers are coming down, you, particularly, you know, you see around collaboration tools, you know, such as Slack and video conferencing tools like Zoom. And we see the proliferation of shared workspaces, you know, such as WeWork. So I think those barriers are coming down. The other area that we see, I think, are concerns around misclassification risk and things like that or compliance. And what we're seeing is the larger human cloud platforms that are targeting the enterprise, they've been listening and, and they're layering in more and more services into their product around classification services, with including indemnification, also additional services around onboarding and they provide you know, uh, data analytics and uh, dedicated support as well now too. So you're starting to see some of the human cloud platforms act more like traditional staffing companies with just greater technology investment. Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the uh, key highlights that we came away with from the conference is this idea of convergence. It's really not only the human cloud uh, side of things, you know, introducing more services, but we're seeing more of the staffing firms responding as well by adding more technology into that stack. So, you know, that line that makes the distinction between human cloud and staffing is it's becoming more gray. Hey, give me an example of, of a staffing, and you don't have to use the name of a staffing company, but give me an example of the types of technologies that staffing companies are starting to implement as they start to 
you know, embrace the cloud in general, you know, digital transformation of, of staffing companies, I think is what you're, you're starting to get at. Yeah, well, I mean, even specifically for human cloud platforms, you know, we're seeing staffing firms make acquisitions in this space, they're investing in the space. And, you know, a lot of these smaller staffing firms that might not have the capital to go out and make an acquisition or even make an investment are licensing this technology. So we're seeing, you know, within the human cloud, many platforms coming up that simply, you know, white label the technology platform to these staffing firms. And how many staffing firms are in the United States? Like how, how big are we, like how many staffing firms are we talking about in the U.S. alone? It's a massive number. In the U.S. alone, we're talking 19, roughly 19,000 staffing firms. Wow. Help me understand the industry of 19,000, because it's interesting to me, the transformation of these 19,000 firms. We talked about it a little bit on, on stage of you know, how many firms will there be in, you know, in 10 years. How is that market broken out? Like, are there five big players and everybody else is kind of the long tail? Or how do you see it transforming, say, five years from now? Sure. So, I mean, it's... Historically, the staffing industry has been highly fragmented. Um, so, you know, for example, in the IT staffing segment, which is the largest of the professional staffing segments, you have the, the largest staffing company in the U.S. comprises 12% of that market. And then if you look out, you know, maybe the top five all in make up less than a third. And, and so, you know, I think maybe it comes to the top 20 or 22 staffing firms make up about half of the industry. So it just gives you a sense of how fragmented things are. It's a very large tail that follows uh, in the staffing industry. When I think about just staffing in general, there's a lot of jobs that cannot be done remote. There's a lot of jobs that have to be done locally where it requires, you know, a person on staff or on site. How much of the staffing spend do you think represents work that could be impacted by the human cloud or the ability to use technology to allow remote work versus things that need to be done on site or on the, the premise of the client? Yeah, it's a good question and it involves an awful lot of analysis to get there. But, you know, so I have a perspective of also, you know, covering the IT staff staffing segment. I can bring in some of my uh, views from there and analysis I've done past. So, you know, in IT staffing, you know, some of you know the uh, occupations that might not lend themselves very well to human cloud type of remote work would be more like senior IT level jobs where it involve you know a heavy dose of soft skills and things like that, and also you know roles that involve entail access to very uh, sensitive data. There's a lot of hesitation from companies, you know, getting uh, you know some of the sensitive financial data or competitive intelligence type of data uh, in the hands of remote workers that are not full-time employees. However, so, you know, maybe examples there would be like around cybersecurity or business analysts. I thought you were going to bring up Snowden, who, was that, who happened to be a <laughs> That's contractor. That's a great example. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you look at those types of examples of jobs that actually make up a very small amount of the, you know, slices of the pie on what the market looks like. So cybersecurity, those jobs are, you know, a mid-level single-digit number in IT staffing. Business analysts, roughly about 10% of that market. And then you think about which occupations lend themselves the best to remote type of work. And, you know, what you see uh, a heavy dose of is, you know, around web and software developers. And that is easily the largest category of uh, that you see in staffing for IT. Makes up about a third of that entire market. 
Uh, and I think, you know, perhaps, you know, a great majority of those jobs lend themselves very well to the human cloud. You know, having worked at big companies for the past 20 years, there's a lot of IT stuff that is managing tickets and, and doing problem re resolution and, yes. and, and things like that that don't necessarily need to be done on premise. In fact, I, most of the time at most of the companies I've worked for, mm -hmm. it's being done around the world, uh, just like call centers and, and some other things that have been put in the global market. Absolutely. Uh, technical writers might be another example, as you mentioned, like the help desk and the PC support for sure. This is a, an industry or a segment that's evolving very rapidly and there's obviously growth involved. And so there's a lot to take shape and a lot of conjecture as to where this is all headed. Uh, and so I think, you know, the people are interested in, you know, in terms of, you know, how work is going to get done in the future and what are the implications for staffing firms and what will the future human cloud landscape look like and those types of questions. You know, I think, you know, where this is all going, you know, you have organizations that, I think that we will fully embrace independent workers. They're going to be at a competitive advantage. I think you'll be able to assemble high-performing teams in real time. It'd be very powerful. In one of um, my panels, I had Sarah Tang, who was a VP of Enterprise at Freelancer.com. And I think she had a, a really uh, interesting idea of, you know, from a technology standpoint, where this might head in the future. You know, so right now in the human cloud, we're seeing a lot of AI used uh, in terms of matching individuals to opportunities. But you know, perhaps in the future, AI will be able to identify various traits and qualities that would be indicative of which friendly freelancers all throughout the globe would be able to work best with one another to build teams. And I think that could be a really powerful tool to have. And then another thing to consider, you know, freelancers have a, uh, an inherent advantage, actually, or incentive in terms of their flexibility, the control, and then the need to maintain that relevance in the marketplace is to continually upskill. In an environment where, you know, we use, you know, technology, we're talking about tech cycles, uh, where they're turning over faster and faster. I think this talent pool of freelancers is likely to become increasingly valuable over time as they continually upskill. Yeah, I wrote an article called, actually, an article called Reskill or Die. One of the things that I noticed when I started working with freelancers on all sorts of projects, whether they came with the most the most efficient way to do something based on the latest technology and, and the latest sort of trends. And so I was doing a lot of work in content and they would come and say, oh no, this is this is today's trend on content because engagement content's an ever-moving beast, you know? And so mm -hmm. you want to find people who, who know what's going to drive engagement and, and all the tips and tricks that do that. And the freelancers, hands down, represented that sort of knowledge because they were out there having to be on the cutting edge to be valuable. And so I think there is a, a sense of relevancy in working that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that just highlights one of the key, you know, secular drivers driving all this growth in, in, into the human cloud. There are others as well, you know, um, obviously with the technology advancements we mentioned, cultural barriers being broken down uh, amongst the, the companies. Accessibility to the internet, of course, is a big one because much of this work that's being done remotely is being done overseas. So that pool is rapidly expanding as well. I agree with you, you know, that um, I think perhaps even the most compelling of these secular drivers is on the supply side. You know, we have this shifting de demographics, millennials, you know, which are you know, more comfortable with online platforms than previous generations. You have, you know, more and more of these freelancers finding the projects online. I think, you know, it's clearly not a fad. There's some research out there recently showing just how much of a structural trend 
this is from Upwork, where uh, over half of uh, freelancers said that no amount of money that they would get more than they're currently getting would compel them to switch back to traditional employment. So I really kind of just shows that highlights, you know, the independent workers. This is the kind of flexibility and control that they demand. And I think uh, organizations, hiring organizations, are going to have to adapt to that over time. One of the things that I found in, in the, the folks that I talk to on a, on a daily basis is it isn't if you want control, it's almost you have to take control because mm-hmm. the, the idea that a, a company is going to take care of you for, in my dad's case, 45 years, just it, that doesn't exist anymore. So, mm-hmm. so given the fact that that doesn't exist anymore, you know, what are you to do? And I think a, a lot of people are, are, you know, moving to independent work as a way to have more control, not only flexibility of how and where they work, but control of their own destiny, the projects they want to work on, the skills that they need to get. Because uh, if you're at a company, you're going to be, you know, a lot of times too busy to take training if your company is, you know, offers that sort of training. The SIA in general spends a lot of time talking to the staffing industry. What are the risks that the staffing companies feel? Or do they even feel risk? I mean, I talk to some staffing companies that say, oh, it's really neat that these online platforms are doing stuff, but Look, staffing's not going to change. It's a human-to-human business, and we're in the the relationship business. But what are you hearing from the staffing companies? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a clear bifurcation, I think, that you're seeing. Um, You know, many of uh, these staffing companies are acknowledging some of these trends, and some, as you mentioned, uh, you know, perhaps not taking it very seriously. I don't view it as a threat. The future, obviously, uh, tell which one will eventually happen. But, I mean, if you think about just some of the benefits that we see here that's driving the growth and and how that relates to staffing. So usually what we see as the kind of like the entry selling point into an organization of human cloud work is cost. This involves lower markups than traditional staffing. But then there's that typically ends up actually being like a secondary benefit from companies that we've spoken to as they start using it more and more. We see they value the speed, you know, jobs are filled significantly faster via the human cloud, you know, in staffing, you know, traditionally a time to fill might take a few weeks, whereas in the human cloud, it could take a few days. And then also access to this just global talent pool, you know, that's leading to higher fill rates, you know, a trend we've seen over this decade of expansion in staffing is this double-edged sword of, you know, you know, with the skill shortages, you know, it's driving more business towards them because that's, you know, companies are going to them because it's a core competence of staffing. On the other hand, they're struggling because recruiting difficulty is getting so difficult. You know, we do a, a survey called a pulse survey every other month. And one of the things that we measure from staffing companies in that survey is what their various sales difficulties are and recruiting difficulties. And in our most recent survey, Recruiting difficulty reached an all-time high since we've been running the survey, which dates back to uh, December of 2013. It's an interesting differentiation that we see, so which I think bodes well for the human cloud because it highlights, you know, the preferences of independent workers, where the talent is, and so and, you know, another kind of building upon that, you know, human cloud that, that growth impediment is kind of the opposite of what we see in staffing. So staffing, as I just mentioned, it's around recruiting challenges. In human cloud, it's about just getting into the door of organizations. And there's kind of no, you know, we see a lot of human cloud platforms being limited by their constraints on the other side, getting into the door of the organizations. And they're actually limiting 
the number of freelancers onto the platform because they want this to be the best opportunity uh, and be compelling for the workers on the platform. So you see this kind of, uh, they're being selective, which is building some kind of exclusivity around that brand and more of a focus on quality. And I think over time, that focus on quality could be a differentiator for human cloud as well. Yeah, I've seen a, a bunch of different companies. I mean, TopTal being one that that really works to curate that pool of freelancers so that they take all of the friction in bringing someone on board. You know, where staffing firm may send you 10 or 15 resumes, you know, here you get one or two experts and you can fill in 24 or 48 hours. I think that was one of my big eye-opening moments four years ago because I'd traditionally gone to staffing firms and had coffee with the person that runs the the firm and they'd give me some resumes in over a week or two or three, which is fairly standard. They'd place somebody to do some some independent work. When I went to companies like Upwork and Top Talent Business Talent Group, what was three or four weeks and a cup of coffee was one or two emails hmm. and a person working, you know, in, in three or four days. And that that speed is immeasurable. Even if it was, you know, cost less or even cost the same. The fact that I was up and running in two or three days, not two or three weeks in the time I had to spend to do that was was sort of game changing from a business perspective. Absolutely. And I think you're seeing examples of just this model taking shape. It's kind of transforming some industries. You know, one thing we highlighted in our recent report is around the consulting industry. We see these companies, large consulting companies, either building or partnering with human cloud companies to source consultants directly through their own websites. PwC has built something called Talent Exchange in partnership with MBO. Ernst & Young has a product now called uh, GigNow. Accenture with Contractor Exchange is something that they've built internally. So they're seeing the benefits. You know, Obviously, we mentioned about access to talent, but the self-service aspect of this also reduced costs by removing the middleman. And they like the way that it allows for permanent and flexible workers to interact with each other on, on projects. You know, last football season, I was watching uh, one of the playoff games. I forgot which one it was. And there was this really interesting ad where they came on and it was Intuit who does TurboTax. Yep. And they had this ad. I don't know if you remember. It was like where you get a CPA and you get a CPA. And in the audience, <laughs> they had these these two people saying, did they just put people in their software? And it was you know, I think back to your point of the consulting companies hanging their shingle and saying, hey, come work on my platform and represent my brand. It was another one where Intuit was putting people in the software and CPAs to help you sort of in that time of need. And so I think there's a trend more broadly with companies saying, hey, I'm going to put people in the experience and, and really start to help people do last mile. I mean, nobody's better that than Amazon, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. delivering you your, your package in five minutes or, you know, all the different things that, that they have done, Mechanical Turk, and they're doing things with AWS. And um, so I, th- I think what you were talking about in staffing is, is lending itself to sort of a bigger trend of companies relying on independent workers. I mean, Ikea bought TaskRabbit, what, two years ago, which was a big one. I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, I think we're going to just see over time more and more uh, use cases pop up. You know, I think uh, Microsoft is another example that's doing this in partnership with Upwork. I, I just see more and more examples. Because you sit at the intersection of sort of the human cloud, which is technology and, and basically humans moving to the cloud and staffing, if I gave you a crystal ball and said, hey, what does the next five years look like? What do you say has changed? So if we have this conversation, on October 24th, 
24. Mm -hmm. What would we be talking about? What would have changed? Well, I mean, so a human cloud is still, you know, it's been around for about a decade, you know, following, you know, maybe the uh, Uber was kind of like the first big company to really kind of bring this model forward, but it's still very much in its infancy. And I think there's a lot to shake out over the next decade. And I think, you know, one of the questions that, you know, was postulated at the conference is, will there be an Uber of online staffing? And, you know, clearly there is a significant uh, advantage in scale here. So, the, you know, network effects are, are at play in here. And I think, you know, a company like Upwork is very well positioned across a broad range of skills. But I think there's going to be a lot of room for other category leaders, particularly on the high end of things. So, you know, specializations that become, I don't know, say like deeply integrated with strategic incomes, uh, outcomes, I should say. You have top tells emphasis on software engineering, design and finance, MBO in some of these very high-end jobs, Fiverr and digital service. You know, we mentioned how the consulting industry has uh, embraced this, but we're also seeing consulting platforms out there, you know, like uh, Business Talent Group and Catalant. In legal areas, you know, we have Axiom is quite large. And some other interesting areas that it lends itself out to would be, you know, around travel nurses, such as Trusted Health and um, Interactive Corp. They've been jumping into uh, the human cloud as well. You know, they've previously made acquisitions more around the internet, you know, such as Match.com and Tinder. But more recently, they've made acquisitions of Handy and even more recently, a company called Travelfly, which is an online nurse platform. So I, I think, you know, th these are all examples of validating uh, this market. And we're seeing, you know, investments coming into the space quite a bit. A company called RigUp, which is a human cloud platform in the energy space, just very recently announced that they raised $300 million, including Andreessen Horowitz. We also see big tech entering the space, which is, you know, deeper validation. We have uh, Uber announcing UberWorks in the Chicago area, which is, you know, basically for shift-based blue-collar work. Amazon with uh, some, a product called uh, Amazon IQ, which you know, is basically uh, for talent around AWS to help build out that ecosystem. I'm from down south and I was at a family event and a lot of my uncles and cousins are doctors. And they were talking about how many of their friends that are in the medical industry are starting to do telemedicine, right? Mm -hmm. and, and actually going independent to do telemedicine and that's just another space. Everybody thinks that the gig economy or the human cloud represents driving people around or maybe even low-skilled work. And what we're talking about is helping somebody deploy AWS or even being a doctor. Yeah, I mean, it's use cases really, I mean, I don't want to use the word limitless, but they're enormous. And uh, I think we're going to see it more and more. Sometimes the, the staffing industry doesn't get a good view from left to right on all of the different things that are happening in all of the sectors, because they may just represent one or two of the, the independent sectors. So I, I hope this conversation was helpful to folks that are just trying to learn more about what the human cloud is and, and the various scenarios in which companies are starting to, to deploy it, whether it's to augment your contingent program or completely reinvent how you think of providing services to customers, like things like the AWS uh, example. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. It's uh, called Rapid Fire. I'm going to ask you five questions that you haven't seen. And so you say the first thing that's come to your mind. And I'm also going to give you the ability to ask me to. And I'll say the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? I'm ready. All right. 
What is one thing about you that's not on your LinkedIn profile? Well, uh, what's not on my personal profile on LinkedIn is that, you know, I'm a recent father of two, which is keeping my hands full in addition to covering the human cloud and IT staffing. I have two girls juggling at home. Uh, congratulations. How old are they? Four and one. Wow. Your hands are full. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think the future they live in will be very different than uh, the staffing industry of today, for sure. Uh, no question about that. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? I would say Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm a big fan of what he's been doing uh, around field of science and astrophysics and, and bringing education around to everybody. And it just looks like an amazing job that's doing good for everybody and a uh, super fascinating space. If you were stranded on a tropical island, what two things would you want with you? Fresh water and internet access. <laughs> Good answer. What book or movie has inspired you the most over the past year? One book that kind of relates the idea of freelance work that doesn't really kind of come up in this discussion, I think is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, you know, it's a classic. It really is. You know, and you know, most people equate that to you know, investments in real estate in particular. But I think it just goes to show, you know, how, you know, workers can kind of take control of their careers and make it what they want it to be. It's a good one. It's actually, it, yeah, I've been asking that question probably for a year and it's, it's probably one of the better answers. Last one before you get your chance. What is better, being radically curious or having attention to detail? Both are very important, but I would say curiosity leads all uh, because that's where all ideas come from and are tested and vetted and how, you know, big things happen. So I would, I would say focus on the big picture. That's awesome. What, do you have any questions for me? Well, not to be too promotional, but when, when are we going to get our hands on the, on the new book? <laughs> that's a good question. I've been only working on it for four years. So <laughs> one of those things, I, I never felt that I was ready to publish. We did land on January 21st. So ho hopefully the book will be, be out and available on uh, January 21st. Exciting. And so what was the most exciting finding or biggest surprise that you found in your research and putting that together? I spent a lot of time uh, talking to Steve Rader. I think when I hear companies talk about how, you know, their contingent programs and remote work and, you know, struggle with some of these compliance and all those things are, are real. I mean, I, I'm not downplaying them. But when you go talk to somebody like Steve and tells you how they're using the human cloud and, and the crowd and just trying to get a diversity of thought to solve really amazing problems, it was inspiring to me. Here's people that are dedicated to trying to figure out an outcome, whether it was changing the trajectory of, of the space shuttle so that the, the sun's gamma rays could, in, like they can improve the time they did uh, spacewalks, or how do you track all of the things with RFID that are in the International Space Station so they don't fly around and hit people? There were just these really interesting stories that I would never have thought an agency like NASA would reach out and say, hey, help me solve this problem in a very open way. And, and so the book is filled with stories different problems that are solved by actually reaching out into the human cloud and saying, hey, you know, can somebody help solve this? And the problems that were solved were solved by people who had no domain expertise in the particular field. Hmm. And so it was just the, the stories that, that I learned through people by telling those stories were just inspiring to me of saying, hey, there, the diversity of thought is the power in this idea. So. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for, for spending the time with me uh, this afternoon. If somebody wants to learn more about you or, or the work you're doing, what's the best way to get in touch? 
Uh, sure. They can reach me uh, either via my email, uh, bwallens at staffingindustry.com, or simply over LinkedIn is an easy way to get in touch with me as well. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to hearing more about the reports that you're putting out in, in the human cloud and all the great work that's going on at SIA. And again, thank you for being with me this afternoon. Thanks a lot, Paul. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy.